We're here with Alex Calder, who is a part of the series of homeowners who we're going to be interviewing on the Interiors podcast, talking about self-building. Hi there, and welcome to the Interiors podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan, expat and interior designer based in Dublin, Ireland. This show is all about informing and inspiring you, homeowners and renters in Ireland, on all things around property, housing, and home, from self-building to choosing flooring. In each episode, we interview industry experts and homeowners to give you practical advice and the motivation to create and elevate your spaces. Before we launch into all the kind of juicy nitty gritty about self-building, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you came to become a self-builder. I suppose best way to explain it was my husband and I both work in what is loosely termed the creative industries, although we I mean, kind of hate that term, but that's, that's what it is. <laughs> I am head of content and communications at a gifting Irish tech startup called And Open. And my husband is creative lead for Mia in Meta. So he's a background in advertising and I have a background in content and social media and PR. And we'd always thought we would like to build a house. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't like we... It's. It's kind of a lucky circumstance. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's an accident of circumstance in a way because I am from Wicklow. Yeah, I grew, I grew up in Wicklow. My parents have land where I grew up. We have land because I, I grew up with horses. So having those things makes mm-hmm. concept of being a self builder much easier than if you live in Dublin and, and you know you can't because of the way the planning laws are in Ireland. You can't go. Oh, I'd love to buy a field in Wicklow and build a house on it. That's going to be really hard for you. But but as a local, <laughs> local as they call us, the, your path to doing that is much easier. And then obviously you don't have the cost outlay of buying a site as well, yeah. which can be expensive. Yeah, yeah. So it was, I mean, as we all know, the cost of housing has risen and risen and risen. And we, I suppose we started talking seriously about it in 2014, 2015. And we thought, we would we'll definitely be able to build something that is going to be a more beautiful and a more valuable home than we would be able to afford to buy because we have this asset in in the land already. Of course. So yeah. We ultimately we, we we started talking about it and when we ultimately started the process in 2016. Okay. So and where were you living at the time? In Greystones. Okay. So we had never actually lived in Dublin. My husband is from Dublin, but we had consciously made a decision to live in Wicklow. At the time I was still competing on my horse. So I needed to be near to where the horse was for riding and training and everything. But also it's a way of life thing. And I remember people, because we were working in Dublin and we'd take either the dart or the bus into town and people kind of like, you live where? Like, (laughs) how do you, how do you get home? How do you go out at night? And we're like, we're just like, we just make it happen. You know, for me, it was normal because I'd grown up that way. But for Sam, it was a specific it, it was a lifestyle change, but it was, we always felt like it was worth it. And then we moved from Greystones to further into the countryside, close to where our house is and the village I grew up in, which is still not that far from Greystones. Like we're lucky in that we're quite a commutable belt, a zone of Wicklow as well. We're not in the depths. Yeah. And that choice to be able to leave town after work and go home and it be so peaceful and so dark was something that really for us for our lives and what we wanted was really important so we knew we wanted to live in this area and were your parents aware you had your your eyes on the land this had been in the talks 
Oh yeah, like that. My father was all is all about it. He's like, why aren't you building houses? He would have had us doing it ages ago. We probably should have because the cost of everything would have been cheaper. But I know we didn't think we had enough money yeah. then, or a global pandemic headed your way. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so 2016, you start the process. Tell us more about how that went, and also like, were you into architecture before that? Would you watch? these kind of renovation shows or did you get thrown in the deep end? I have since 20, since like 2008 or seven yeah. shared, a, I had been sharing a house with an architect. So I'd lived, okay. a, a friend, I'd been living in London and a friend <clears throat> came over to study um, architecture in the Bartlett, which is one of the most prestigious um, architecture schools. And so we were living with, he, we were sharing a house and then we all gradually kind of drifted back to Ireland. And then he and I started sharing a house again. Okay. And then two more architects moved in. So then this was the recession actually. <laughs> so most of them were unemployed or they were sort of, they were doing job bridges and stuff. Yeah. I suppose they had a, an unusual sense of what, what, what architects did. I don't maybe was more aware of the importance yeah. of architecture or whatever, or like, just all the mistakes people were them. making <laughs> them yeah, complaining the, about all their clients the frustrations on their side yeah yeah in 2014 2015 I start. I worked for um this Irish design 2015 which was a, an initiative by the design and crafts council and the government to showcase Irish design around the world we had a flagship exib- exhibition which traveled to all the major design fairs and the exhibition design was done by an architect called John McLaughlin. So I was working with John through that process. When Sam and I started talking about building more seriously and who we would use as an architect, John was obviously on the top of our list because okay. I'd already I'd worked with him. I'd like we'd we'd gone out, we'd had dinner together in New York, and you know, we'd been in Milan together building the stand yeah. and everything. So I knew that we got on. And I also knew what I really liked about him as an architect was he does a lot of exhibition design. Like he's done the pavilion at the Venice Biennale. And so he doesn't necessarily only think in terms of walls and roofs. He thinks mm-hmm. in terms of light and space. Mm-hmm. And we we did talk to other architects. I think something that another colleague from Irish Design 2015, who's now my friend, Alex, who's also called Alex, said was he was like 80% of your relationship with your architect is about as about your relationship and how you get on because you're going to be having this like really intimate mm. conversations with them about your life so it's a, partly it also part obviously partly has to be about their style and what you like about what they have done in the past but you also have to know you're going to get on with them because you're going to spend a long period of your life like interacting yeah. with them and making really serious decisions with them and decisions that are going to you're going to be living with literally yeah so okay I remember we did go for like a sort of quick meeting with another architect and he was, and he was like one of, one of these trendier, trendy up and coming Dublin architects. And he was basically encouraging us to just be developers. And it was like, just like build off a huge house and then flip the house. And then you've got like, you know, you've got 800,000 in equity. And we were just like, that is not where we're coming from, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, this isn't, this is not, this is not the brief. Yeah. Yeah, this is on my parents' land. That's not really what we're looking for. We're not looking to get into developing here. Yeah. And yeah, I remember one of the things you said before we, you know, we we hit record and you told me you wanted to talk about was the importance of choosing an architect that you got on with for for all these reasons and not just their portfolio. So you choose John 
And then had he had any experience with self-building or did you have to be like, all right, let's do this together for the first time? No, no, no. He's like their practice. I've done a lot of, um, okay. of houses as well. They, they, okay, great. I suppose they're kind of unusual in that they do exhibition design and they do a lot of public buildings. So they, they do okay. like libraries and various public buildings, but they do mm. also do homes as well. And they okay. were at the point that we started working together, they were building a home right across the road from their office. So it was useful to get an insight into the later on in the process by being yeah. able to see that. And they, they're a small practice, but they, I think they just won up and coming practice of the year or something like that. They're like a really thoughtful practice, which I think w- was really important for us as well. Okay. So you engage them. And um, by the way, would that be what you would recommend in the future? If you did it again, would you start architect first? Is that what you have to do? Oh yeah. Go- yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Okay. We never, ever were, were going to do the direct labor thing. That was yeah. never going to be our route because we just knew our jobs were, were only going to get more intense and didn't, we don't know anything about buildings. And we're not like, yeah. oh, so, oh no, I'm going to build a house. I think <laughs> the people who do that, they tend to be people who are already working in construction in some yeah. way or yeah. they're engineers or they have family who are involved. Yeah. In or they do the, the prefab route where like, yeah. you know, you're, or like trying the to do timber something frame. really weird. Yeah. Or something really weird and innovative, like every grand designs episode. What did you get yourselves into when you started with the firm? What are the, the next few things that someone could expect if they want to go down this route? So they, it's so long ago, but I'm trying to remember, they, a reputable architect will do the same. They'll all do the same things. Like the RIAI is the oversight body for architecture. Yeah. And that's the place you should start really. You know, if you, if you feel like I don't have a clue where to start, go to the RIAI's website because they have a guide on how to choose an architect, mm-hmm. what to expect. Here's the process. Cause there are legalities to okay, it. Yeah. You know, that you've got to sign contracts and they're, they, the way architects charge is a percentage of the budget. That's generally a range from like 10% to 12%, or it was yep. at the time. You're doing it anyway. Obviously, the budget changes. So we went in with a with a, a budget. <laughs> that, I mean, maybe it would have been possible to build something on that budget, but I don't know. But a budget, our budget has has really increased. And it's partly, it's it's a lot of things. There's a lot of reasons for that because of architectural choices and that were yep. made by both parties. Some are because of inflation and cost increases as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. And then some is because we started earning more in the, over the period of however many years, it's been six years. Mm-hmm. So we were able to say we can afford that. But I think really that's where really trust between you and your architect is really important because people who don't have a good relationship and trust with their architect might feel like, oh, they're pushing me to increase the budget so that they can get more, they can earn more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, okay. So you've got to have, you've got to have a good, like open dialogue and communication basically yeah. to make sure that kind of thing doesn't happen. When you brought your budget to them, were they like, okay, that's reasonable? Or did they then have a QS or did they then bring in a few different people to help you cost it? Or were they like, okay, let's start with that as as a costing point. And then you went out to tender. So the other thing the RIA have that's on their website is um, a guide price of cost per square meter per per building. And so at the time we started, which was 2016, I think the current prices were the 2015 prices. And they Mm -hmm. were something, it was something like to build a single one-off house, you will be looking at a range of like 1200 to to 2200, something like that. And like that, that's how wide the range can be depending on materials basically, and, you know, finishes and all of that. And so 
using that as the guide, was it 1500 to 1900? So anyway, it was sub 2000. Something like that. Yeah. And using that as our guide, we were able to go, okay, yes, we can build a 200 square meter house Mm -hmm. at the the lower end and it will be, it will be within our budget. I think if you look at the guide now on what those costs are, it's, it's something, it's something, it's so much more. It's something like 2400 to 3200 is the price per square meter. They were able to say, okay, this is what you're saying your budget is. This is what is probably possible. And then we started outline design based on that. And then only after we had initial designs did we engage a QS. I think actually maybe we had we even had planning permission or we were we were in the planning process. Okay. Um, okay. So a bit later in the in the process. Yeah. But then like the thing is it took so so long that every like things changed all the time. But yes, a QS is a really valuable person to have on board. And our QS, who John engaged. Okay. So, you, so we have architect. a QS. Yeah. We have a QS and the builder has a QS as well. So when yes. you get to the build stage. Yeah. So when we were negotiating after the tenders had gone out to the builders, mm-hmm. there were two times the QS was like invaluable. At that point, he was invaluable because he was able to like really negotiate hard with the builder's counterpart QS. Mm-hmm. And then after the pandemic, well, not after, I mean, there's no, there's no after the pandemic, when building resumed in yeah. 2021, okay. and we, we were hearing, oh, you know, cost increases of 10%, RQS was like, no, well, that's not happening. And <laughs> our cost increases ended up at only being 3%. So, oh, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was, we were lucky. I think there was a combination of factors. Like mm. the builder was really keen to have a project to go to and, Everybody was ready to go, but the QS was really strong and, and really a valuable part of the team. So I think that's why I was saying to you before that uh, from my perspective, we just like hire all of the experts because you are never going to do a better job than them. Yeah. Like unless it is literally your job, you're not going to be like able to say, surely you can get steel for less than that. Come on. Like it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's um, all the things you don't know, you don't know. And things like you don't even know what to ask. Um, exactly. Before we jump into like, cause I know the planning that the whole thing was a nightmare and a lot of people are always like, Oh, you got to get planning permission. Before we jump into that, I'd, I'd love to have an idea of like, what did you design? What was your brief, you know, for the actual house and tell us a little bit about the concept for that. Our brief was we want to live in something that's spacious, but not too spacious and modern. And we would love if for you to be able to win awards with this house. So we went down this route of the case study houses, you know, the, yeah. the houses in LA, or maybe the, they're wider than just LA, but this very kind of mid-century 60s flat roofed house. And that was the initial, the initial design was very close to that. And it, it was actually, it was funny where that came from, where the, where the like route to the case study houses came from, because we, at the time we had a vintage MG, which we have only recently got rid of after being told it was a death trap and we shouldn't have been driving it. So it's, it's now no. as the owner of a of a vintage car that fills you with dread. <laughs> it's now in a good home being restored by a man who okay. loves it. Um good. And at the time, so where we were living was in at the stable yard of an old house and mm-hmm. the cars were parked under a carport and we were like, oh, the carport's great. And, you know, it's really great because we have the MG. So that's where the whole case study thing came from because they started like getting into carports and that went into planning as a, as an outline planning permission. And it was refused because okay. Wicklow 
it turns out, hate outline planning and don't want to know about it. And they also hate flat roofs. So they don't want to know about flat roofs. So we had to kind of rethink. At that point, we engaged a planning consultant. Okay. So I think I, I think we were the first build John and his team have worked with in Wicklow. And, and Wicklow is singular. Like we're, we're kind of straying into the planning conversation here, but yeah. it's kind of Wicklow's, Wicklow County Council have had an impact on what the design of the house has to be. Like it, they're, yeah. they're kind of interlinked. So I think John had worked with the planning consultant before, who's Kevin Hughes. His The firm is called HPDC, I think. And they were really good as well. And he, Kevin, had been working on a project near our village. So okay. he knew Wicklow and he also knew the very specific area. And so he was aware of precedents in the area as well. Okay. And, and um, that's the key thing. You want to be able to have ammunition and inspiration from nearby so that you can make a case, right? Yeah. And Wicklow have this very comprehensive design guidelines book, booklet or you know, PDF for mm-hmm. people who want to design single rural houses, which is what we're termed. So okay. when you're when you are building on what is non-zone land, okay, that's called rural. It's just it's just like you know, green fields, okay, agricultural land, you're you're called a single rural dwelling. And okay. they don't really they don't really want people doing that anymore so they make it they make it difficult but when you look at their design guidelines you're like oh wow these are these houses are amazing like this is this is what this is Wicklow is so into architecture this is great but there are there are exceptions like they're not that into flat roofs although that's not to say you can't achieve it I think you can probably achieve it if you can prove that it it, that it's sort of like relevant to the vernacular of where you are yeah and it's like going to work in the landscape and all of that kind of thing so John took the design guide from Wicklow and they kind of went back to the drawing board and they came up with a design that reflected what was already here on the property as the vernacular. So my parents' house is very, very old. It's a very very old farmhouse, which actually has a modern extension on it. And then it also has multiple stable buildings and and sheds Mm -hmm that all lean on to each other. They kind of jut yeah. on it at an angle to each other at different heights. So they took that as the reference and then they mirrored that for the design of the house. Okay. So then when they modeled it out, they, yeah. they, they built a model of it. You could see that, that that was reflected and they were able to like, you know, make that kind of argument. And it, it's both the design choice and it's a, Hey, Wicklow, look, we're blending in with the vernacular choice. <laughs> so yeah. Ultimately, Wicklow, I think, are open-minded when it comes to architecture and style, because the problems after after we got over that hurdle of the flat roof and the outline, the problems that we had were not related to the design of the house at all. We could have done literally okay. anything we wanted, and everything. And we and they do things like they specify. They're like you in the planning, and when they when they grant it, they attach conditions to it, and they say you have to use slate roof. You have to have white rendered paint finish. Mm-hmm. You have to do this, that, and the other. Wow. But you're able to go back and say, actually, we want to have this kind of roof. We want to have this kind of finish. And they were like, yeah, 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 fine, fine, fine. These are just okay. the sort of like boilerplate conditions. Okay, gotcha. And yeah, so, so it was it was approved with the conditions after you changed the design from the flat roof? Not immediately. Okay. We had to... So <laughs> we... It's, if essentially, and this took like a good two years to figure out they came back oh with God. with a further information request initially they had a further information request and usually when you get a further information request 
this is what all the various architects who are shared houses with were like, oh yeah, you're going to get it. They just, you know, you fulfill the FI request and you get, you get it then. Yeah. And their, their request was regarding the sight lines of our entranceway, which they weren't satisfied with. They thought that they, they said, you don't have enough visibility left and right. And so the engineer did the measurements, you know, made the case said, we'll do these, we'll, we'll take out this tree, we'll lower the bridge piers. Oh, this is another thing. We're, we're, we're going to share the entranceway with my parents. So yeah. my parents, and it's, it's a, <laughs> to make matters more complicated, there's a, there's a stream that borders the property. So there's yeah. a bridge over this stream and then the driveway. And then the driveways were going to split. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we can do these things, make these changes, it'll be fine, sight lines will be fine. And then submitted the FI request. And then got another one, which is pretty unusual. It's, it's unusual mm. for them to come back with another set of questions, but basically they weren't happy with it. And that was when it got really complicated because it wasn't clear what exactly would satisfy them. And it took everyone, I think the pandemic had maybe just started at that point as well. So mm. everything was kind of knocked off. Everybody went a bit quiet and it, it took some time to figure out what it was they wanted. And ultimately... It was deduced because they don't tell you. They just and they wouldn't engage either. They wouldn't speak to the architect. Really, I think they maybe maybe spoke to somebody from the planning consultant's office eventually, but they would not engage with the architects. And Is that that's normal? Not, no, that it's norm? not normal. No, because okay. like in other counties, you can have pre-planning conversations and they'll tell yeah. you things that you need yeah, to know, yeah, yeah. but they just wouldn't hear for whatever reason. And it was eventually deduced that what they actually wanted was for us to build a whole new entranceway and that their roads engineer had a problem with our bridge and our bridge was too low and our bridge was causing flooding because it was low. And sometimes when there's heavy rain, like today, the the river will flow up over the bridge and out onto the road and it'll wreck. And I assume the bridge is a million years old. Yeah. It's ancient. (laughs) Okay. So, so they want you to fix something that's been there for a gajillion years. Yeah, which has yeah, it, it, like a really long time. Because actually, our house is the oldest house in the in the area by maps. Um, so wow. it's been here a long time. So we deduced this is what the answer was. Okay, it was like, okay, we need to build a new bridge. And I at that point, we were, I was like, this is so frustrating. Like it's just this tiny hurdle. So I got in touch with my local their local TD. And yeah. I met with someone from his office in the doll. And I remember okay. saying, I remember saying to her, it was like, you know, we, we're being made to feel like we're not welcome in the county. And, mm. and if we can't get permission, we will leave. And she kind of looked like she was going to cry. She was like, this isn't what we want. Wow. And then I also emailed all of our local councillors. And to their credit, two of them immediately got on the case and rang me both like, separately and yeah. um, said, I'm going down to the planning office to talk to them. Like I, I'm talking to them today. I've spoken to them. Wow. You're right. This is what they want. They want you to build a new, if you just, if you say you're going to build a new entrance, it'll be done. So I was kind of amazed by that because yeah, I, I, that I didn't amazing. expect that much like activity, you know, it's sort of yeah. like reassurance that the system can work. Sometimes, you know, you know yeah. your elected representatives can actually do something for you. And they didn't, and they've never followed up with me being like, Hey, will you vote for me or anything? Yeah. It was really interesting. We submitted that and then we got permission. And and then with that permission came the old attached conditions, which we were able to yeah. say, well, actually we want to have a metal roof and we want to have wood cladding and stuff. And that was all fine. But the one condition is that will not change ever is you have to demolish that old bridge. That will never change. So oh my God. And so, yeah. but did that like building a whole new bridge, that sounds pretty Expensive. like structurally important. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. what the hell? So then what happened? 
yeah. So the bridge is not yet finished because <laughs> because five months after the commencement notice of the build, the council finally replied and said, "Oh yes, actually, the OPW want to know something about the bridge." So that's still ongoing. And, and it's, it's it's called a Section 50 request, and it's apparently something that normally only happens with public projects. Like if you're building a bridge in the middle of Cork City or something, you'll get a section, you'll have to do a Section 50. Something to do with flooding, I think. Anyway, okay. the engineer's handling it at the moment. And it's this is the structural engineer that you hired for the house, or did you have to hire yeah. like... A special bridge engineer. No, it's the same. It's the same man, thankfully. Okay. Um, he's also he's a conservation engineer, so he's. It's really interesting because we had to take down trees to build the new entrance, oh. and he was like, "We need to minimize the amount of trees we take down." And you're like, "Oh, you're David, you're so great," because you know, some you wouldn't necessarily associate engineers with that. Yeah, it is. It's it's, it's like thirty thousand or so to build a bridge. So that's on top of everything else. Is it the only entrance to the property? Like how does that impact access during building? The 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 old bridge is still there. So Okay, okay. We, okay, okay. we would just have to close that off. Okay. When, when you're by done. the time the house is finished, yeah. So Okay. Yeah, so we'll we'll have this fabulous glorious new entrance it'll all be great and we'll <laughs> forget the old one ever existed. But I bet you know, I bet your parents weren't as happy then when they're like great. Now we have to get rid of our bridge. <laughs> yeah. In a way, my father was because he loves a new thing. He loves a project. Yeah. Um, but it is kind of sad as well because it is such an old entranceway. And it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's part of the fabric of the village in a way as well. What year is it by the time you get approval? 20, what year are we in now? 2020. 2022. So okay. 2020. Right before the pandemic? Yeah. In the summer. Of, no, in, in the summer. No. In okay. 2020, okay. we got the final grant. Of okay, so you started this process four years before you got planning permission. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's then, not even in the like the pandemic starts only delays it by what a few months, right? Yes. So I think when we got the final grant, we had been planning to start like September time. Okay. And then did the when was the lockdown? Yeah, around October of that year. October 2020, we went back. Yeah, construction didn't shut down, I think, until January, the January okay. 21 lockdown. Oh, um, that one, yeah. After yeah. Delta, it's a blur. No, Delta's the more recent one. After the Christmas, after the Christmas of hell, we're in everybody. Yes. And the 8,000 cases a day. I can't remember why we didn't start in 2020. I think it was because we were generally not ready. Like we were, okay. yeah, we had, because we had to get the final grant for, of permission in order to get the mortgage, you can't, mm, like, okay. it would be foolish, I suppose, to, you can't actually get the mortgage without the final grant permission. And also, we'd gone out to tender with builders, but couldn't commit to any builder until we had mortgage approval as well. Because you're not going to go, okay. hey, builder, yes, I'm going to like sign a contract with you when I don't know if I actually have the money. Okay, so um, it's kind of a few different things have to happen all at once. So time. you can start the process of tendering, but... It's in a holding pattern until you get planning and then until you get your mortgage. Okay. So this is a perfect segue for you to tell us a bit about everything you learned about self-build mortgages. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. And the other thing was as well at that time, because it was already the pandemic builders, everything was up in the air for builders already. So it was just like the materials and and all sorts of stuff. It was Okay, yeah. getting labor and everything was really complicated. So I use, again, because I'm such a fan of experts, I used a broker, a mortgage broker to okay. 
get the mortgage. So um, I used a company called Rockwell Financial, who I had already been using for private pension. The woman who I was working with, Helen, she, she just like shepherded me through the whole process. And it took about, it, like, again, it was about a year from when I first contacted her to when we actually got confirmation of the mortgage. And that was that was also because there were delays on our side where we weren't sure, like we hadn't had the final grant of planning yet. Um, okay. And then so, just to so that's going that on takes. as you're finalizing the planning. So you like, yeah. you got in touch with them at some point in 2019 ish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And I got in touch with them to just find out what we needed to have because we, we actually, in our naive optimism, I think Sam and I had met with them initially to talk about mortgages in oh, like early 2017, maybe. Yeah. And like, oh yeah, we're going to build a house. Oh, that'd be great. And then obviously it took way longer. But we did get good advice from that at that point, which was you need to save and you need to have like a clean your, your savings again needs to be totally clean. Don't spend anything from it. Just lock, lock it down. Mm-hmm. If you do spend something from it, it has to be to pay for something to do with the house. So we we so that was good to know for those intervening two years because they, they want yep. to see like a, a year or more savings, um, okay. proof of savings. So then when we actually started applying for the mortgage, there was a lot of, because of the pandemic, and so this might have changed since, Mm-hmm. We had to we had to supply pay slips every month, and we had to supply bank statements for every month, which is not not the norm. Like no, they're it's just like, like six the, months the three, bank statement usually. Yeah, right? three or six months before, but they basically from the point at which you got approval in principle between that point and the full approval, they they had to keep seeing proof of employment proof that you were not getting the COVID subsidy. We had to get letters from our companies saying we weren't on COVID subsidy payments. Wow. Like, like Meta do not do that. Meta do not fill in what they call pro rata forms. And sounds yeah. kind of like, do they not listen to the earnings calls? This company's doing fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Banks just don't, you know, wow. don't think logically. That's crazy. Like it's hard enough mm. to like buy. I would have assumed something like that if you were like self-employed which is also really difficult yeah. to get a mortgage when you're when you're self-employed but that's crazy because you don't have to do that w- with a normal mortgage until like it t- comes time to draw down right yeah for for that period i think yeah i th- okay. i mean i think it was a kind of an emergency covid related measure because it was related gotcha. to what they wanted to see it was proof that we were not getting covid subsidy payments right and that you had relative job security okay that makes yeah. a little more sense it's not because it was a new build necessarily no, um, only it might have been i don't know if that was happening to other people who were just you know who were, who were getting more more straightforward mortgages yeah and there was also points at which our broker couldn't get in touch with um the people in PTSB. she got an email from them one day saying we are not taking any calls for the next week because we have such a huge backlog log we have to work through it because what also happened at that point this is i think the beginning of last year was that everybody started going, oh, I've got like, we've got all this money saved because we haven't been going out and, you know, the pandemic's been happening. So there was that kind of like rush to buy mm-hmm. that yeah. happened and rush on mortgages as well. Something that was that was good to know that that it isn't always the case, but it is often the case with self-built mortgages is that you don't need a deposit because, so we've been saving as if we did need a deposit. Okay. But you have already got so much sunk cost by the time you're getting to 
build. So you've yeah. already paid a good pr- percentage of the architect's fees. You've paid engineers, planning consultants, energy mm. consultants. So they and, and you show them all that, right? Yeah, you have all the invoices and you go, okay, so we've already like spent the equivalent of a deposit, I think. Wow. I think maybe I can't even remember how much we'd spent. But we included all of those as like proof of I can they call it proof of intent or mm. yeah, something like that. And then also the value of the site is yeah. value of the site with planning, which is obviously in the case of agricultural land, considerably more than the value of the site as a piece of agricultural land. Cause like an acre of agricultural land is between 10 and 20,000 euro. Whereas mm-hmm. in this area, an acre site with full planning permission is it's about nominal value is like between 150 and 200,000 euro. So that's wow. taken into account as um, when when they're calculating the loan to value ratio and the projected value on completion as well. It allowed us to get quite a little, I think we're on a 60 to 80% LTV and depending on the state of housing market when we finish, we could get below that, but I don't, I don't think we will. Okay. That's really cool. And then the way it works, once you get approved, it, it's in phases, right? The way the funds are released based on different phases yeah. in the build. Okay. Yeah. And is so, there anything here you wish you had known? Like, how does this all work? <laughs> there was, it, it became a little bit confusing at, uh, because our builder was saying he wanted to be paid on a monthly basis. And mm. our mortgage broker was saying, you like, the maximum amount of drawdowns any bank does is, I think, eight. I think Bank of Ireland might do eight. And we were with PTSB and PTSB do six. And no bank does monthly payments. Yeah. So I think we, Sam and I, kind of were wondering, maybe our builder has mostly been working with people who've had money, ready money, because they've sold a property and they have money in the bank and they're able to do that. Sure. But he was he he is great and he's really... Again, he's got a really good relationship with our architect because they've worked together lots of times. So that makes the rela- all the relationships easier. And he was then happy to, once he knew what the drawdown stages would be to work yeah. with that time frame. And so something that I've only now learned in the midst of the build process is you have to say in your application what your drawdown amounts will be for each stage. Wow. And approximate date they don't they don't make you stick to the date but they do make you stick to the amount at that point you've signed your contract with your gen your 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 gc yes but things change while you're building so (laughs) so we made drawdowns that are different amounts to what we pay okay the builder so but but it's it's fine because because we had the buffer of all the saving that we've been doing because we thought we had to pay a deposit in the case that the amount is from the amount that we're invoiced for from the builder is more than the drawdown. And in the case that it's less than the drawdown, it's still fine because you're like, it all balances out ultimately. And we also, we also know we're, we are spending more than the mortgage that we applied for because, (laughs) because we decided when when they said there was going to be an extra 3% cost increases, we were like, okay, we're just we're going to leave the mortgage as it is and we'll just deal with that. Like we're not going to go back into the mortgage process because yeah. it was take because it took so long because everything was so slowed down. Okay. Um, and then obviously there are what they call client supply items, 
where clients decide that they want to spend more money than they actually have on certain Like every things. episode of Room to Improve? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's a, in the, um, in the budget for the, like when the architect and the QS do the budget, they have various sections, which are called PC sums, yeah. which are the, like the sanitary wear, the, mm-hmm. the joinery, all of these things where basically it's your choice as a client, how much you're willing to spend there. And they'll put yeah. in a budgeted amount and you, <laughs> I mean, it's so far we've gone over that budget on, yeah. on all of the It's a lot of, of the, the like interiors and built-ins, right? That like, yeah. You could spend it's the aesthetic stuff. Yeah. You could spend 15 yeah. grand at our kitchen or you could spend 60. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're only at the beginning of that whole part now. Okay. With okay. So you get approved for your mortgage. You, you figure out the schedule and all that. So if, if, um, if you had a friend asking you, okay, we're going to do a self build. Would you recommend that they put in drawdown amounts that have like a buffer so that they they're all covered in case that you know they don't have the situation or they have enough savings. I think so. The drawdown amounts were were done by the builder, so okay. he was making he was making the the estimate of okay at this point in the build I will have done this and this and this and I'll need this much to cover that. Okay, so but you then, just need to build in contingency into your savings. Yeah, but you also have within your mortgage. Well, depending on the mortgage provider you are supposed to have contingency. Some mortgages don't specify that you have contingency built into it. Some do. Okay. But it, I think it would be foolish to go into any self-build without savings. Yeah. Like okay. act and, like and, you need a deposit because you are going to need that money. I know there's different percentages they recommend for contingencies. What do you think is realistic? Mm, I know some banks specify 20%, which is yeah. a lot. Yeah. I think... Our architect guide was 5%, I think. Okay. okay. Somewhere between 5 and 20. Yeah. Yeah, 10 is what I've I've heard, but I was curious yeah. to see, did that cover yeah. what you but ended he's... up choosing? Okay, let's fast forward to some of the fun stuff then. So <laughs> you, you started the build process then when? We started on the 1st of June, 2021. Okay, cool. So you've been on site like almost nine months. Yeah. And what have your learnings been now that you, when, when you went to site? So the first stage was really fast. We were okay. like well ahead of schedule from beginning in June up to September, October. Everything was flying. And then the pandemic got bad again. And that ship got stuck in the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. And Brexit kicked in. And that affected a lot of things, in particular Windows. And it also, affect, I think, something that we, that that builder and the architect and everyone was hearing was that a lot of suppliers were, during the lockdown, the construction lockdown, a lot of suppliers mm. were quoting for things and they were quoting on everything. They were just like, I don't know what the situation is going to be when this is all, when like, when it's all over. So let's just quote for everything and then do what we can. Basically everyone, somebody, Steph, actually, Steph O'Sullivan said to me, everyone is being ghosted mm-hmm. at the moment. Because they they were kind of like, if we can get deposits now, cash flow to keep us alive, contracts signed, and we'll figure out how to get this at a later date. That hasn't yeah. panned out so good. Yeah. In our case, we didn't pay, there weren't any deposits being paid. Okay. But we, did, we did get a quote 
from a window supplier. And then when it came to October time and we were ready to start the process of ordering the windows, there was just radio silence. So they heard nothing. They couldn't get in touch with them. They and they tried for about a month and then they were like, okay, we have to give up on these people. They're either like they're either gone out of business or they're mm. just too busy to, in, to come back to us. We went back to another supplier who would actually be the, the original supplier in the tender and that we deemed too expensive. So <laughs> we, but in the on the in the long run, they were the ones who were gonna come through for us and yeah, they are they're suppliers of Raynar's windows, which are really nice windows. But it meant that we compromised. So all of the windows were going to be aluminium. But now they're going to be a combination of aluminium and aluplaid, which yeah. is, I mean, from our perspective, it's totally fine because the aluplaid will all be on the sleeping quarters and the aluminium will be the big feature the standout windows Yeah, okay. where you want that really fine aluminium framing. Yeah. Are the windows in yet? No, the windows will not be here for ages. Like I think, I think a- end of April is the optimistic time frame. So okay. once the windows finally got ordered, I think that the order possibly went in just before Christmas. The lead time was like eighteen weeks, but that changes all the time. The lead times are apparently improving because the supply chain issues are kind of gradually being solved. Mm-hmm. But there, it was just like a perfect storm of, of problems. The other thing that happened was the, the timber shortage. That Suddenly there was no timber. And we have a lot of structural timber in the house. Yeah. And we, our builder, just being tenacious, got some. At, like, <laughs> at the point when we thought, we're not going to be able to do this. We're going to have to rethink on the timber. Wow. Because we had a quote and it was outrageous. It was just, it was too further than we were willing to go and he was like i've got it i just i just called into to this man on the off chance and we can do wow. it and it's gonna it's it's gonna be a little bit more but it's not gonna it's not crazy more so and was it your original choice of wood also yeah it's douglas fir which is great the beautiful just always been the the detail specification and if you had had to change that this was was this exterior cladding no it's interior oh okay so there wasn't like a oh my god we might have to get planning permission again no it would okay. have been an interior thing so we would have maybe gone okay. steel or some other type of wood and painted it or something like that yeah so then everything's moving along now what are some of the learnings from along the way like how involved have you been how have you balanced it with work how have you both balanced it as a couple and a young family what are some of the, the learnings you want people to have when they get involved in this and hopefully nobody has to experience building during a as intense <laughs> lockdown again but Haha, that's what we said in 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's been, on the whole, other than all of those challenges, which are absolutely outside of anybody's control, it's been a really positive experience. And we, Sam and I both have said, I would do this again. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And it's it's an interesting one because people always sort of say, oh, like building your own house must be so amazing. It's your dream, like your forever home. And we kind of like, we think, yes, the house we're building is going to be beautiful from our perspective. You know, it's not going to be to everybody's taste, but that it's also not necessarily the house you might want to live in forever because your, your tastes change and what you want changes and things like that. So I think we will live in it for a long time, but it's also the, the experience of doing it has been so positive that we wouldn't be averse to doing it again. And I think an important, like a really important factor of that is the relationship that we have with our architect and that we are able to be honest with him and 
we've also given them, I mean, I hope if, if he listens to this, I hope he agrees. We have, we have given them a lot of creative freedom because yeah. we both work as creative people and we know what it's like to get feedback and we know what it's like to give feedback. And yeah. so when we, when we do both of those things, we try to do them respectfully and we try to do them thoughtfully and understand where they're coming from, from as well, from a creative perspective. And also we've wanted them, we've wanted them to take the creative lead on it because they are the professionals, they're the architects, mm. they're the people that have been doing this for decades and studied it for years and, you know, are immersed in it. So their choice. That's interesting. I was, I was curious to know like how involved you both were since you had, you know, you both are creatives, you have a strong aesthetic that you were clearly going for, and you probably have more opinions than the average person, but that's actually enabled you to trust in what they're doing and take maybe a step back. And I think that's, that's a really good insight. If like, if the creative can do it, the average Joe should do it too. Yeah. (laughs) Have there been any weird ones where they're like, we have to do this. And you're like, I'm not sure, but I'm going to trust you. Have there been any special design elements like that, that you're like, (laughs) you're actually really happy with now? The wood, actually, I was not into the idea of as much wood as we are now going towards. And I'm now like, I've done a 360 where I'm like, I want all of the wood. We need more wood. (laughs) The entire kitchen must be made of wood. Um, Whereas I come from a place of white and concrete, a, a sort of a more okay. like I think a less refined sense maybe of mm-hmm. of what a, a modern house could be. Yeah, but as we've gone through the process and they the architects have exposed us to more references that are mm. like references like Anstey Plum and Turn End particularly. Those are two that are that have been really influential. We are we've we've gone on this much more like this much warmer natural materials route mm. so it's this like really rich orangey red wood which I would have because I hate that orange pine I hate it so much yes and I'm like oh yeah. look my house is kind of really orangey but it's gonna be <laughs> gorgeous because it's gonna be offset with concrete and white yeah. and green in, in the form of plants and you know yeah furnishings of various colors and it's it's all gonna be lovely but I was definitely it, it took a while to come around to the to the wood, but it was the right decision. And then one that that they were pushing, not pushing, that they were they were really keen on that we didn't go yeah. for in the end was having, I think they call it articulated brick, where you can yeah. see the the brick, the outline of it on the inside of the house. And okay. for me, for me, it just felt too much like A school and B is stable. And I just was like, I just thought I can't, I just I can't. It's too far. Yeah. But now I look at references, other references, and I see it, and I'm like, hmm, maybe I should have gone to that <laughs> thing. But. One other thing you told me when we arranged this, you, you said sometimes things taking a long time can be a good thing. And that, that was actually refreshing to hear because all you hear, you know, as I've entered the interiors industry and been, you know, more privy to conversations about property and whatever, all anyone does is moan about delays and, and whatnot. Yeah it's nice to hear that there's a, a flip side to that. So why? <laughs> why is it good? <laughs> well, it's partly, I think, part, part, so partly as a reaction to our own work life yeah. where we work in demanding environments and you never have enough time to okay. think creatively. And this, especially the earlier period, like before planning was finalized and everything, when we were very much in the design of the conceptual stage, yeah. it gave us a lot of time to to like sit with the ideas and allow them to percolate and think about, well, do like, because 
if it all happened more quickly, we may never have gotten to the the, the wood and the concrete situation. Yeah. We maybe we maybe would have stayed in the more straightforward white walls and concrete. And then also our lives changed in that we had a child. And when we started the conversations, we were only just getting married. We we weren't. Um, wow. I mean, we weren't. Like, we weren't not. We weren't planning. We weren't not planning to have a child. But we weren't going like, oh, now we will build a house and we will have a child. It, yeah. It, having a child was just something that was sort of organically happened. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure there's a difference between knowing you're gonna have kids and like knowing the amount of space a kid's stuff take. Right. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> and actually, I mean, it almost it was almost too late into the process when we had him because things things were already sort of finalized in terms of design. Like I would have made those bedrooms bigger. And we we actually we did make the we made the the utility room a lot bigger, which I think is a is a like a, a practical response to now yeah. being a larger family because yeah. the volume of washing ma- yeah. is massive and we're <laughs> just one very small person. And so having a big utility room where you can comfortably do that and hang it all up and not have, yeah. to have it in the living space is re- is going to be really really nice. Yeah, um, and it seems like he spends a lot of time sloshing in puddles. Yeah. So it seems key. <laughs> yes. yes, I love the, the stories. <laughs> Actually, we, put, we did put an outdoor tap outside the the front door because we were like, we need a hose because we need to hose down Kit when he's come in from being covered in mud. Yeah. Um, other thing, like other really small things, like there was a discussion. We have this the kind of living space, the living quarters and the sleeping quarters are divided by not a wall but a, a sort of wall of shelving, oh, cool. and. Very mid-century style, kind of like. Yeah. And it's yeah. going to be very, like very long. It's the entire length of the space. Wow. So it's maybe, it's maybe 10, eight or 10 meters long. Mm-hmm. And we were going to, it was going to be raised up off the ground. So there'd be a void and then there'd be the first shelf. But then we were like, no, we can't do that because when a child's ball rolls under there, you don't want to have to go all the way out and around and into the corridor to yeah. like have to retrieve the toy. Yes. So just those really practical things that you would never, ever have thought of ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anytime we have friends with kids over at the house, we have a coffee table. It's a piece of glass. It came on a van from Poland. It's from the sixties. My dad had an identical one, but we couldn't bring it from Argentina. And it's a propeller with a piece of glass resting on it, not attached. And we had twin one-year-olds over not so long ago, banging on it. And I almost had a heart attack because the glass isn't connected to it. So oh it could God. slide off and like kill a child. And I was yeah. like, right. Okay. Child friendly. Right. How does that work? <laughs> so that's, that's so interesting. So is it fully open plan? Yes. And yeah. actually the whole broken plan debate started as well during the pandemic, yeah. but we were, we were happy with what we have. So the, there's a very large kitchen living space. So yep. there'll be kitchen, dining table, and the kind of L-shaped built-in seating. We've got a lot of built-in furniture, which I think, which is a great thing. We've a lot of window seats, a lot of like built-in shelves, built-in furniture. So that means, so that's part of our old cost that we won't be in that situation where you're like, oh, now I have built, spent all my money building this house and have no furniture to put in it. Mm-hmm. So I love it's, that. It's also a handy hack for if you're building a house, build in lots of your furniture. Yeah, um, that's and very then, Japanese. Yeah, and there's actually been quite a few Japanese references as well throughout the project. The roof, the way the roof sits on the house is is also kind of Japanese. And then we also have we have a separate kind of TV snug room, and okay. then we also have this 
upstairs space, one this one upstairs space that will oh, be Oh, it's two stories. Of, For some reason well, I it, thought it was it's only it's only got one room that's up. So there's this kind of oh. it it started off as a cantilever. This it started it's the carport thing. We back at the carport <laughs> was still there and it was this like big cantilevered yeah. Um, wedge basically and then it was it was just when we got to qs point it was unbelievably expensive because it was going to be all have to be poured concrete and have all this reinforced <gasps> steel so that the house wouldn't twist on itself so that's where we got our bigger utility room we we sacrificed carport for utility room okay. which i think on balance is a good for a car thing. you don't even own anymore <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> And that's that's why time is good as well because it is those kind yeah. of things can those kind of things happen. It'll be an office primarily and a sort okay, of like cool. library room, but it'll also be a spare room and it has a bathroom in it and it also has my favorite feature of the whole house. So if I was on home of the year, this is where my red dot would be. I already know. This. Oh, it's got a secret balcony, so you can you, you go out through a window onto a little tiny tiny just a little tiny terrace and that came as well from conversation with the architect where I told him about how my sister and I used to climb out of her bedroom window onto a little bit of flat roof outside and we would just you know sit out there and hang out oh that's so cute sunbathe and and stuff and does it did you grow up in the house on the property your parents house yeah and can you see the spot where you used to do that from your secret balcony uh yeah actually I think I can oh that's very cute that's very cute okay love that I think you should definitely having seen a few pictures you should definitely apply to be on home of the year for next year I don't know know if I could take it (laughs) I know one thing I actually think of like having I didn't build my own home but like you know we did we did upgrades and stuff and when I watch it I'm like oh my god I don't know yeah I I would feel really hurt by anyone getting their opinions (laughs) (laughs) how dare you yeah and I also think I don't know if you watched it last night but there I were did. two, like, there was one kind of country cottagey house, and then there was one yeah. house, an old house town, and then there was this spectacular modern house. <laughs> I know. They shouldn't be in the same program. Like, no. they should put the big spectacular modern houses all together in one program. I know. And judge know. them That's against it. each other. But it's just like in the World Cup, in the group stage you go in, like, <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's unfair to be in the same group as, like, Germany and France but that's life. Yeah, right? that's true. Also, in the North, this is something I learned, in the North, yeah. you don't have to pay VAT when you build your own house, which is a massive difference wow. in price. Yeah, so it makes, because you, you a lot of these spectacular houses you see are in the North because they mm. partly have more uh, liberal planning laws, but they also, they can do more with their money because they don't have to yeah. pay VAT, which is amazing. Yeah, that's right. That one was uh, County Down. It was incredible. Yeah. So to kind of wrap it up, because we've gone on long tangents, because it's just, <laughs> just so interesting. And I, I suppose, what stage are you at right now? Things are really, really slowed down because of the whole window delay. Because if you can't yeah. get the windows in, you can't do the first fix, basically. Well, you can, you can't, but you also kind of can't. So <laughs> there was a lot, especially before Christmas, there was a lot of um, time where nothing was happening. So things okay. have picked up again now. The windows are coming soon. The roof is going on very soon. Like I think next, I think next week or in the next couple of weeks. And they've also started. They are going to do some first fix stuff. So all the the, the wiring has all gone in. The plumber, there's there's been pipes laid. The plumber is going to be doing some things next week, and floor insulation is going in. So we're now okay. able to like stand up on floor height or closer to floor height, and it's all feeling more house like as well. Yeah, so, and um, 
actually think, on the note of installation, did you go for like, you know, any specific energy rating and look for any of those grants? I know new ones have come out or were you just like, this is hard enough to, as it is? No, you have to uh, build an A-rated house when you build a new Oh, house. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So, and then do you still qualify for the grants? I don't think so. Perversely. No, I haven't actually looked into it properly, but yeah. I, but I, 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 this may, this may be wrong, but I think you also don't qualify for the solar, the new one, the PV grants if you're building a new mm. house. So we're going to wire for them and then put them on in a, like in a year or something. Okay. When it's not a new build. Yeah. When it's no longer part of the build, which is crazy. Like yeah, That is crazy. I should probably look into it more, but I haven't yet. Yeah. But no, the house will be incredibly warm. It's going to be externally insulated and there's like this much floor insulation. And then okay. obviously the roof insulation and it has an air to water heat pump, like or a mechanical yeah. heat recovery unit as well. Yeah. Um, we are putting a stove in and we're going to shop for the stove. The man was like, you're building a new house and you're going to put a stove in it. You're going to suffocate. They, like you don't. It is so like, just, hot. We want to buy a stove, man. Just sell us a stove. We have considered getting air conditioning. Our house is a new build, <laughs> and we like. I actually had to get like special blinds and curtains for my conservatory office. It's just so hot. But the house, they're too warm now. You need yeah. like the fans built in, and you have to like open the fans. You need to buy a stupid Dyson thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, we, it's the yeah, complete have, opposite of the average Irish house. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I just kind of wrap my head around because I'm because I grew up in an old house, so I'm used to it not being the warmest place in the world. Yeah, although yeah. but having these like roaring fires to warm yourself yeah. at. Yeah, but of course. The way it's been designed is also like intelligently so that yeah. the sun won't beat in. The sun, there's a, it'll be shielded. So I know yeah. there's going to be cross ventilation systems with windows and things that are hopefully going to make it all very temperate and wonderful yeah sounds much better mine is a south-facing conservatory with glazed roof yeah so it's like a greenhouse yeah exactly (laughs) and before we completely wrap actually in terms of interiors I know that you've done a little bit of work with uh, Stephanie O'Sullivan who I also do some work with but what were your plans for that or were you so kind of you know consumed by the building you didn't get a chance to think about it yeah pretty much we (laughs) like we were so much on the high level for so long that thinking yeah. about the details was just not like beyond putting references on Pinterest. We yeah. weren't getting into the specifics. And then we ha- when we had to start getting into the specifics, we were we suddenly found ourselves overwhelmed because we were so used to sort of thinking in this much larger kind of bigger picture phase. And something that John has said several times as well is that as the project goes on, the amount of decisions you have to make increases, but their significance decreases because mm. in the beginning, the bit, the decisions are all so big and permanent, but then you're making these smaller decisions, which are changeable ultimately, like door handles and loo, like tiles and loose yeah. and stuff. I met Steph through a mutual friend a few years ago. And so we had a chat with her about the kitchen. Yeah. Because we just felt, we were just like, there's just just too many options here. So we just wanted to get her perspective as well from, Mm -hmm. because the the architects are really hands-on in terms of those areas. I think that they have more interior input than the average architect maybe does. Yeah, And the kitchen is very much, part of the architecture of the house in a way as well because of how much materiality is built into the house yeah um if that makes sense i'm not talking in 
architecture jargon that I don't fully understand. Um, And then we've also been working on the bathrooms. So I have been working with a woman called Emma Louise in Tile Style, Mm -hmm. which we just felt it was easier to just go to one place. Everybody's like, oh, you should shop around and blah, blah. I just do not have the bandwidth for shopping around. Like I, I have obviously looked for alternatives in some cases for things and like for for the upstairs bathroom, which will be barely used. Some things will come from Ikea. Some things will come from tile style. Yeah. But yeah, bathrooms have been easier, I feel, than the kitchen. Okay. The, the kitchen is still a mountain we have to climb. Is your builder going to help? What, does he have some like a joiner that can come and build something for you? Yeah. Okay, so joiner quote is incoming and there will be, yeah, well, like we'll probably realistically what we'll do probably is have Ikea carcasses and yep. have the joiner make doors and oh, then yeah. Yeah, yeah. as yet undecided wood and then we're considering a stainless steel worktops oh cool very cool funnily enough i just received samples today for a company that does that they make the fronts for ikea carcasses they're based out of spain and i actually got their wood veneers today they're called cubro c-u-b-r-o okay cool that's yeah. good to know yeah it seems Sorry to be <laughs> <laughs> it seems to be a fairly standard thing to do because the Ikea carcasses are so good and like yeah, their systems are, are so good. Exactly. They're, this is something I had a call with, with Kubra recently and they were educating me that actually the appliances Ikea sells are Bosch, Whirlpool, Electrolux, that their carcasses are the exact same quality as, you know, your average kitchen design place, but they're mm. just really cheap because they buy them on map, which is you know, yeah. economies of scale kind of unfair, but. Uh, it's nice that you're kind of doing a little bit of both because you get some of that custom touch and supporting the local business with the joiner who obviously probably built a lot of the other things in the house. So it kind of ties it all together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's doing all of the joinery. He's like doing the stairs. He's doing the built-in furniture and the Amazing. And everything. Amazing. All right. So I guess if uh, if someone's listening and they are kind of thinking, you know, would I, would I renovate? Would I buy new? There's some of some real, like realistic things of, building that like you said you're fortunate to have that you always knew there would be this plot wicklow don't permit people who aren't from wicklow or have ties to the Mm -hmm. area to build that's right right you have to have been living there for 10 years i think i think if you've been there for 10 years you can yeah you can apply as a local under local need so the the it's called local need um, yeah, local needs. So okay. I and actually, <laughs> I've just remembered this. I did a business plan as part of my planning application for a equestrian business on the property. Wow. To be like, I'm going to start a livery stables, which <gasps> I still might do. You never know. Yeah. Oh my God. And is that like the planning consultant advice that yeah. that would help? Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. So that, like that was a huge amount of work, but yeah. yeah. Um, and, and the kind of the proofs of localness that I had to unearth were wild, really wild stuff just as well my parents kept loads of random certificates from like local sports clubs and things wow and like growing up there and your parents living there wasn't enough and having lived in disgracedance well you had to prove it you can't just say it you have to prove it sure 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 oh my so don't throw anything out like if you're 20 right now and you're living at home don't throw out all of those things like your yeah okay so discs and do you know much about like how it differs in Dublin or other surrounding counties? I have heard that Wicklow, Donegal and Kerry are the worst in that regard okay. um, because they're all like counties with a lot of designated areas of outstanding natural beauty. 
So okay. like pretty much all of Wicklow is, even though not all of Wicklow is an outstandingly beautiful, like our where we are is designated as that. Like we we have a, yeah. a nature reserve at the end of the road as well. So that was that's that's also been a consideration for them from an environmental perspective. But I think the the big difference is if you're building on rural agricultural land versus zoned land. Okay. So in Dublin, you would never have that problem. And another thing our architect says is in Dublin, your your problems are going to be with your neighbors, but in yep. Wicklow, your problems are going to be with the planners. Uh, but but that's not to say that if you if you had a plot of land in Wicklow that was zoned, you could build anything you wanted. You would have to respect the zoning density yep. requirements as well. Yep. And obviously a zoned piece of land is going to be more expensive to buy than a piece of agricultural land. And I think you can normally buy an aggregate like an, an acre of agricultural land subject to planning. So you don't actually hand over the money for it until you have planning permission for it. Oh, okay. Interesting. But again, you have to have been living in Wicklow for, for 10 years or or yeah. look up the local need requirements. Yeah. And uh so you do it again and would you you would you would self-build again or would you like renovate a house or oh either know? I think. Yeah. Cause yeah. I would I would love I because I grew up in an old house, I would love to live in an old house as well. Yeah. But I think after living in a really new house, that that will actually be hard. So any kind of parting words of advice for for anyone considering this journey, even if they're thinking of it in two, three, four, five years? Yes, that particularly in that case, think about it and really think about it and don't think it's something that you have to have the answer to immediately. Just let it let it sit with you and begin to notice the way you live. That was something in our very early meetings with our architect. They grilled us kind of on how you live. And mm. that's what I mean about having kind of intimate conversations with, with as effectively strangers. So they, they really like provoke you into thinking about what way you live, um, your patterns and things. And we had things like that upstairs room that I was talking about was going to be our master bedroom. And mm. then we, we switched it ultimately. So yeah, you just no, don't feel like you have to rush into it because it's, it's not, so, it's something that's when you're building, you're changing the footprint, you're cha- you're changing the countryside, you're changing the earth, you're mm. changing like your display. This is something I felt you are taking a beautiful unspoiled piece of countryside and you are ruining it basically. And so you've got to make it really, really worth it. So yeah. making it as, as much what you want it to be as possible, I think is really important and not rushing into that is equally important. I love that. That's a perfect note to end on. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was also really interesting, everything you shared about the architect and getting to know someone before you hire them. And I, it might not be as easy for some other people who won't have had the chance to work with somebody, yeah. but at least really consider the interview process perhaps more and take more time in those early stages based on everything you shared, it seems like, you know, it would have been a much more stressful process without a good architect that, you know, you had this other connection with and, you know, that can all, the the architect can also be a source of conflict for for some other people as you've shared with me from from some people, you know. Like if, if you set up initial chats with three or four or five architects, you're, some of them are going to be more open to it than others. So you're going to get a sense of who is, who's open to it is going to tell you mm. something about what kind of person they are to work with as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And uh, in general, hiring experts, like you said, unless you are an expert in the field yourself, as the decisions mount, if you are trying to wear some of those other hats and the unforeseen things that happen, if you have experts helping you through the process, it's going to probably save you a lot of 
stress and money, even though it seems like yeah. a, an investment up front. Yeah, and yeah. we're not, we weren't doing this on a, like with a lavish budget by any means, but the fact that we were doing, that it spread out over so many years meant that we were able to spend the money at those times because we, we weren't looking at a looming mortgage. And yeah. the other thing, which I haven't mentioned, which is unusual and very fortunate for us is that we, for the past three years, have been living in my parents' house. So yeah. Yeah, that just makes a huge difference. And it's it's made like all those delays and everything easier because we don't have any kind of rental deadline. Of course. Yeah. And I think that that's probably a huge consideration if somebody's considering a self-build because you can move in somewhere that needs a lot of love and live in it for a while before you do the work. And some people even phase the work, but with the self-build, you've got so many more hurdles to jump and the delays can be longer and you literally cannot live there. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's amazing, but it, it does present its own logistical issues. Thanks so much, Alex. And uh, where can me. people um, follow along the journey of your house and uh, generally very aesthetic shots of family life uh, in rural Wicklow? <laughs> My, we have an Instagram for the house, of course. Yeah. It's called A House in Wicklow. And yeah. my personal Instagram is called Alex, which is... Actually, it's not linked from the House in Wicklow account. So it's C-A-L-D-A-L-E-X. That's amazing. Thank you for tuning in to the Interiors podcast. To learn more about our guests or anything we mentioned today, please refer back to the show notes. You can also follow along with us on Instagram at the Interiors podcast or on my Instagram account, Tanya Neufeld Flanagan. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please subscribe, follow, leave a review and share the podcast with friends and family. Thank you so much and see you here next time.